The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 7. I'm your host, Otis Jerry. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about evil eateries, fearsome felines, villainous vehicles, and paranormal portents. If you're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales... If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from author Christopher Maxim takes us to Massachusetts, where our protagonist finds himself in a place that by all rights should not exist, and yet it does. Without further ado, I present to you a diner open 25 hours a day. Late one night, I found myself driving down what seemed like an endless stretch of road. I was on my way back from a week-long business trip, facing at least a 12-hour drive home. Having always been afraid of flying, the monotonous trek was unavoidable. Though tedious and sometimes downright soul-crushing, I'd grown used to the lonely road trips back and forth from state to state. In an effort to minimize my commute... I usually refrained from making pit stops. I would push through exhaustion and discomfort, making my way home in one fell swoop. I'd enter my bedroom and meet my blankets with a hard thud 
falling asleep almost immediately after my head hit the pillow. Picturing my eventual slumber is what kept my foot on the gas pedal. On this drive, however, I grew particularly hungry. I tried to ignore the feeling, but this became increasingly difficult as the night went on. I found myself longing for sustenance, fantasizing about dreadful gas station food, anything that would placate my insatiable late-night hunger. I was between a rock and a hard place, as tightly squished as one could be. Unable to fight off the urge to eat any longer, I gave in to my stomach's groaning and got off the highway somewhere in Massachusetts. I'd been to the state on several occasions, but this time I was in unfamiliar territory. There were many trees, more than the average Capeside town. On top of that, there were no buildings in sight. Despite the lack of residential growth, I was sure I could sniff out a 7-Eleven and indulge in a microwave burrito or a slice of rubbery pizza. I drove on for what must have been 30 minutes or so. No gas stations, no fast food joints, and no buildings of any kind. Just miles and miles of wooded area. Worst of all, I didn't even have a phone signal to pull up my GPS. I was just about to give up on Operation Midnight Snack when I saw a faint glow off in the distance. This signaled me uh, that I must have been reaching the outskirts of civilization. Furthermore, it meant nourishment was just around the corner. As I approached the glimmering light, I realized that it was that of a large neon sign. Coming closer, I was able to make out what it said. Supernova Diner, followed by an even larger subheading, open 25 hours a day. I guess that they really wanted to drive the we-never-close angle home, and in a cheeky manner, no less. Cheekier and larger still, there was a big flashing arrow beneath the sign, pointing to the diner in question. Hungry as ever, I pulled in without hesitation. I jumped out of my car and rushed toward the entrance, but not before taking a quick look at the place. It was a beautiful retro-themed silver boxcar diner. The smooth metal exterior gleamed in the moonlight as I walked up. It was so sleek and well-crafted that I wondered why it was located in the middle of nowhere. Could they really get by on the odd passerby here and there? After admiring the diner's craftsmanship, I barged in, intent on satisfying my late-night case of the munchies. The diner was void of life, but I heard a voice yell out from the kitchen, Be right there! While I waited for service, I surveyed my surroundings. A gorgeous red checkerboard pattern painted the interior of the building. Lining the perimeter were red booths and tables so immaculate they looked as though they'd never been touched by human hands. To top it all off, there was a row of similarly red, identical cushioned bar stools at the counter. The diner definitely had a classic 50 vibe to it, but it was too crisp and clean to feel truly authentic. After a few minutes of waiting, a middle-aged man came out from the kitchen, drying his hands with a dish rag. Hello there. Welcome to the Supernova Diner. Uh, my name's Hank, and I'll be your server tonight. How can I help you? Hank wore a retro soda jerk cap, a comically large bow tie, 
a spotless white apron, and a smile almost too wide for his face. He pointed up at the large menu on the wall behind him, where I noticed quirky food items like Milky Way Shake, Galaxy Sliders, and Planet Fries. Yeah, I'll have whatever the special is. I didn't feel like asking him to translate the menu for me. Plus, I really didn't care what I was eating, so long as my stomach stopped growling. The Nebula Express coming right up. Hank shot me another awkwardly wide smile. To escape his eager glare, I pulled up my phone and glanced at the screen. Still no signal, but I noticed that it was approaching midnight. I groaned a bit, knowing that my detour had cost me a swift return home. Still, I knew I couldn't ignore my biological needs any longer. I would have ended up stopping at some point anyway. I put my phone in my pocket and looked back up at the counter. Hank was still there, smiling away. Uh, shouldn't you be getting my order? He didn't react to my query. Instead, he remained silent and motionless. Okay, then. I'm going to leave now. Bye. Just as I turned around to head for the door, Hank spoke up. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Why is that? I asked. Well, it would be a waste of time. I turned back and glared at him. What are you talking about? Are you going to get my food or not? He laughed at me. You can't leave now. The fun is just about to begin. Your order is being prepared as we speak. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hank pulled out a stopwatch from his apron. The digital readout appeared to be counting backward from an hour. I didn't know if it was a restaurant gimmick or a strange prank at my expense, but either way, I was fed up. Bye, Hank. It's been weird. Thanks for nothing. I turned around and continued marching toward the exit. As I did this, my jaw dropped. The door was gone. My eyes quickly darted from left to right, revealing to me that the windows had vanished as well. There was nothing but continuous wall on either side of me. Perplexed, I looked back at Hank. He chuckled to himself and asked me a question. <laughs> so, how do you like your meat? What? I asked, completely dazed. Your meat, how do you like it? Uh, well done. I like it well done. Well done, huh? Oh, I like my meat as red as possible. Little color does the body good. I looked at him, confused. Hank, where's the door? Well, let's just say it's temporarily unavailable. Anything else I can help you with? Yeah. What the hell's going on here? Well, there are a number of possibilities. I've outlined them here on the menu. Hank pointed up at the menu again, only this time. The food items were gone. The letters had seemingly been rearranged to form bullet points, numbered one to three. I read them aloud. One. During your business trip, one of your colleagues slipped you some LSD as part of a half-hearted practical joke. What you are experiencing now is a product of the drug's potent hallucinogenic properties. I like that one, Hank said. Unlikely, but it's fun, wouldn't you say? I moved on to the next possibility. Two. You fell asleep at the wheel. 
This is merely a vivid dream that will continue until you inevitably crash your car and die on impact. Alternatively, you may have already crashed your car and lived, albeit barely. You're currently in a coma, and your sleeping mind has formed a narrative based on the hunger you felt before the accident. The diner is a metaphor for the coma itself, and you won't escape until you awaken, which may very well be never. Hank bore a look of concern. Well, a little morbid, I admit, but it's possible. I reluctantly looked at the last option. Three. Something supernatural is afoot. Mysterious forces beyond your comprehension are at play, trapping you in an otherwise normal eatery. These forces will not allow you to leave under any circumstances. The best thing you can do is accept this and allow yourself to succumb to whatever classic paranormal tropes are thrown your way. Death will be your only escape. It's all I could come up with, Hank said. I'm not sure myself, but I'm leaning toward number three. The hell, Hank? The fuck is this? And shouldn't you, of all people, know? You'd think so, wouldn't you? But I guess I wouldn't tell you if I did, now would I? He offered me another one of his smiles as a consolation. I wanted to punch it clean off his face. Instead, I partook in a nervous breakdown of sorts. I slammed my body up against the wall where the door had been. I screamed at the top of my lungs. I even grabbed a few bar stools and tossed them in different directions, as hard as my arms would allow. All the while, Hank remained calm and still, his lips stretched from ear to ear. Just as I was about to take a swing at him, the kitchen door behind him popped open. Oh, your order must be ready. Please, come with me. Hank disappeared into the darkness beyond the kitchen's doorframe. I stayed behind, hesitant to follow him. After a few moments, I heard him yell out to me. Come on, kid, aren't you hungry? It's true, I was hungry. But I was more so cautious, especially given my peculiar situation. Because of this, I sat down in one of the booths and waited. I didn't know what I was waiting for exactly, but it was all I could bring myself to do at that very moment. It wasn't long before I heard Hank's voice again. Can't wait out there forever, kid. As if in response to his statement, the lights in the diner began to flicker. Then, one by one, they went out, spreading darkness from booth to booth. Eventually, I was left with just one bulb above me, wavering in and out of life. It provided me with just enough light to make my way to the kitchen, and Hank knew it. I had two choices. Go to the dark kitchen, or let the bulb go out and sit in the dark diner. Neither option was ideal, but deep down I knew only one had the potential to lead me to answers, no matter which of the far-fetched scenarios on the menu was true. As such, I gave in to the narrative uh, that was unfolding around me. It was clear to me at this point that fighting it was futile. As I passed the threshold into the kitchen, the door shut itself behind me. Bright light poured out of the ceiling, washing over the entire room, revealing vibrant white walls and flooring. In the center of the room was a chair slanted in a diagonal position, not unlike one you'd find in a dentist's office. Next to the chair was Hank, who had traded in his diner uniform 
for a flashy white lab coat. Finally, come, sit down, take a load off. Only out of fear for what might happen next, if I disobeyed, I did as Hank told me. It's not like I had much of a choice at that point. I slowly walked over to the chair and lay down. As I did this, leather straps wrapped themselves around my legs, arms, and forehead. I no longer had the luxury of movement or peripheral vision. Hank walked around to the front of the chair and pulled out his stopwatch. You're doing fine, kid. Only 40 minutes left. Without warning, six or seven shadowy figures came rushing over from either side of me. They brought with them rolling carts filled with what looked like medical equipment and power tools. I tried to make out even a single face in the crowd, but I couldn't. They lacked discernible features of any kind and moved about in perfect harmony with one another like animated silhouettes doing the bidding of some unseen higher power. Over the course of the next few minutes, the figures poked and prodded me, drew blood, took hair samples, inserted their utensils in places I'd rather not discuss. As much as I squirmed and screamed, none of them reacted, not even Hank. Feeling helpless, I eventually stopped struggling and simply braced myself for each needle that penetrated my skin. It made things a little more tolerable. After a while, the figures stopped. Instead of going away like I'd hoped they would, they traded their needles and test tubes for surgical scissors and began cutting my clothes off. This continued until I was completely naked. I tried talking to Hank, but he was too busy playing around with the samples that had been collected. Even if he did respond, no amount of encouragement could have prepared me for what happened next. Using nothing but scalpels and brute strength, the figures began cutting away at my skin. It was an absolutely horrific orchestra of deadly incisions, and one that continued until they peeled off every last bit of my epidermis. For one reason or another... I remained both alive and awake during the entire ordeal, though at the time I wished I could have died. The pain was excruciating and came in waves. Just when I thought I was going numb, another unbearable, sharp, throbbing sensation would overtake my entire body. I never felt anything like it before. By the end of it, my ears were ringing from the volume of my own screams. "'There's that collar!' Hank exclaimed, gazing at the bloody mess that I'd become. Why are you doing this? I yelled. I'm not doing anything, kid. I'm just here to observe. Relax. Only 27 minutes left. I would have argued with him further, but the figures grabbed the power tools and started tearing through my muscle tissue. The buzzing sound of saws filled the room, drowning out my cries of agony. Through blood-soaked eyes, I could see Hank mouthing the words, over and over again. I watched him mock me until the buzzing stopped and the next stage of torture commenced. I never wanted to see my organs. I never wanted to see my bone. I could have gone my whole life without knowing what they looked like. Now I can't get the image out of my head. I'm afraid I never will. After successfully ripping apart my skin and muscles, The shadowy demons took hammers to my insides, smashing up my spleen, stomach, liver, kidneys, and lungs. 
They broke through the brittle white ivory that made up my skeleton, making sure to leave no bone unturned. They even destroyed my skull and scooped my brain matter into jars. After all was said and done, they cleaned up my remains like fallen hair in a barbershop and swiftly left the room. You're probably wondering how I lived. I am not entirely sure. They stripped away every physical aspect of my being, but I was still there, a sort of bubble of floating consciousness. I could still see and hear, but I was without a material body. As jarring as this realization was, I was just happy to no longer be in pain. I didn't realize it, but Hank was still in the room. He walked over to me and leaned in real close, stopwatch in hand. See? No, that wasn't so bad, was it? Looky here. You've only got 18 minutes left. How will you spend them? What things will you see? We had our fun. Now it's your turn. Hank turned around and walked out of the kitchen door, leaving me alone in the white room. Within an instant, things began to change around me. The walls, floor, and ceiling faded, revealing an array of distant stars behind them. I somehow went from being in a diner on planet Earth to floating around in the vacuum of space within mere moments. Within seconds of the room completely fading from view, I was unwillingly hurled through the universe at light speed. Everything around me blurred and my bodiless soul spun around uncontrollably. If I still had a stomach, it would have been turning. I'll never forget what I experienced in the coming moments, but I'll never fully remember it either. Even now, I only have access to bits and pieces of what happened. Perhaps the extreme velocity in which I traveled somehow damaged the fragile fabric of my memory, rendering me unable to retain the information I was presented with. Or maybe my feeble mind just couldn't process the imagery. Who knows? In truth, I can only tell you what I felt. That will never go away. As I sped through space, deep space, I was stopped in specific locations, mostly foreign planets and dead star systems. In those moments, I saw unspeakable things, gruesome things, things I never knew could exist in the universe. I was plagued with disturbing sights and concepts of horrific proportions, so horrific, in fact, it made my impromptu autopsy look tame in comparison. I don't know exactly what it was I saw there, but I still feel an immense dread whenever I try to recall it. After what felt like an eternity of torture, I was transported to what I can only assume was a location outside of the observable universe. There were no stars or any light to speak of, not even off in the distance. I was alone in a blanket of darkness, left to suffer with the memories of what I'd endured. Just as I was beginning to accept my circumstances, a light glow appeared in the distance. As it came closer to my position, I recognized its features. It was Hank's stopwatch. The readout was approaching zero. Ten. Nine. Eight. I started to feel weary, almost like I was falling into a deep sleep. I wondered if that was impossible in my current state. 
seven, six, five. Like a projected movie, the past hour of my life appeared on the black canvas of space behind the stopwatch. It played in reverse at high speed, like a VHS tape stuck on rewind. Four, three, two. Feeling faint, I tried to focus on the imagery. I relived everything that happened to me in the diner within a few mere seconds. One, zero, poof. Just like that, I was back in the diner parking lot, body and flesh intact. My car was there next to me, right where I parked it. I took out my phone and checked the time. It was 12.01. Everything had returned to normal somehow, to the way it was before. Elated, I jumped into my car and started it up. I was about to drive off like a bat out of hell, but I decided to take one last look at the diner. Somehow, within its walls, there does exist an extra hour in the day. How's that possible? What's its purpose? I can't be certain. Maybe Hank was right, and that third scenario had something to do with it. The only thing I do know is that I survived, and I won't be making another pit stop anytime soon, no matter how hungry I may be. Just then, before my very eyes, the diner lifted itself from its foundation and flew upwards into the night sky. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed a diner open 25 hours a day by author Christopher Maxim. If you enjoyed the tale you've just heard, I'd like to ask you to consider helping the author out during a difficult time in his life. On our last two episodes, we featured a total of eight of Christopher Maxim's tales generously provided for our entertainment and put out a call for assistance. Chris has unfortunately been hit hard, both financially and physically, by the coronavirus pandemic. He suffers from a high-risk health condition that's left him immunocompromised and quarantined indefinitely. Coupled with serious issues collecting unemployment, Chris has found it difficult to make ends meet, let alone afford the treatment he needs to improve his health. So, I'd like to ask you, after hearing his tale tonight, to consider helping him via either a direct donation or by purchasing his books on Amazon.com. Every little bit helps, 
and would mean a lot to all of us. We've set up an author profile for Chris on our website at simplyscarypodcast.com slash maxim, spelled M-A-X-I-M. On that page, you'll find links to Chris's Amazon page, as well as an assortment of his featured books. You'll also find a donation link that will allow you to show your appreciation by contributing a few dollars to him directly. Just look for the donation link on his social media links at the top of the page. You can also use the page to contact Chris if you'd like to ask about other ways to help. From Chris, me, and everyone on our team, thanks for your support of the writers that help make this show possible. Up next, we've got another tale of terror, this one from author Ryan Peacock. In it, we'll meet a gentleman who's introduced to the most beautiful woman he's ever met. Fortunately for him, she's got a wild side, a really wild side. Without further ado, I present to you, Kimmy. never been good with people. It's always just been easier to live my life alone, burying myself in fiction and living vicariously through the stories I read and watched. It was comforting to do that. My life could never have been as interesting as those stories, and so I knew I wasn't missing out on much. My father had been an important man, I admittedly don't know how the specifics of what his company did. I think it involved treating diseases by modifying human genetics. It was all way too complicated for me, and when he'd passed, I was in no position to inherit his legacy. That honor had gone to my sister, Kathleen. She'd taken over the family business, and I'd just taken my inheritance and faded away. It was for the best, really. I was always doomed to be the family disappointment, and it was better that everyone just forgot about me. I had enough money to float on, so I'd never want for anything as long as I was smart enough about how I spent it. I had a property, a farmhouse in the country, that was far away enough from the world that no one really bothered me, and I was happy, as happy as I could be at least. I didn't really even leave the house unless I needed to pick up food or supplies from the nearby town. It was just me and my stories, drifting through the endless days in what was as close to an ideal existence as I could get. I was happy, and I never wanted it to change, until I met Kimmy. Visits from my sister were rare. She had far bigger things to concern herself, then with her deadbeat baby brother in his house in the middle of nowhere. I can only imagine she'd let herself into my house, as I'd still been asleep that morning. She woke me up by tossing an old pair of jeans onto my face. Wake up! And the command was shrill and not to be questioned, and I almost tripped over myself as I ripped the pants off my face and looked over at her. Kathleen stood tense by my door, waiting for me to get dressed. She was a stoic-looking woman, and while we bore a clear family resemblance, she seemed so much more put together than I ever did. Her 
red hair was neatly combed and tied back into a professional bun. Her freckles and pale skin seemed only to add to the uneasy coldness in her sharp green eyes. She was shorter than I was, yet her presence seemed to fill the room and left no room for anyone else. What? Kathleen? What are you? Up, she said bluntly. I need you to do something. No greeting. No, how are you? Much like Dad, Kathleen only ever cared about you when you could do something for her. Otherwise, you didn't exist. I put on my jeans before wandering out of my bedroom and down to the kitchen, where Kathleen was already making coffee. I could see three men in dark suits with her. I wasn't sure if they were her security team or something else. What's going on? I murmured. I watched as my sister poured a cup for herself. She added nothing before she took a sip and glared at me. I need you to do something for me, was her reply. Sit. She gestured to a nearby seat as if I was a dog, and I knew better than to argue with her. I pulled up a chair and watched as Kathleen rubbed her temples and sat down. I didn't ask any questions. I waited for her to start talking. I knew she wouldn't have bothered with me unless she truly had no other choice. There's been a setback in one of our projects. She said, after taking another sip of coffee, something we've been cooking up for a private client. You could call it a genetic experiment. Either way, it's not something that officially exists, according to our books, and it would look very bad on us if anyone found out about it. Genetic experiment, I asked. Like a cure for cancer or something? Yes and no. Kathleen said. She hesitated a moment before she continued. Dad had branched the company out into other avenues. Once you start playing with genomes, the possibilities are endless. After that, all it really takes is someone asking if something is possible. One of our technicians wanted to run an experiment. My dad approved is beyond me, but they saw results, so I allowed it to continue to function as we looked into developing practical applications. I was thinking along the lines of human limb regeneration, cures for illnesses. The problem is, what our technician did is... She paused. Let's say it exists in a legal and ethical gray area may bring up some questions that would be difficult to answer, and right now, the last thing our father's company needs is an ethical controversy. What exactly did you do? I asked. Kathleen bit her lip. It was the first time I'd ever seen her look out of control of the situation, ever since we were kids. You'll see. To get to the point of the matter, I need you to keep the assets I've brought here close by and keep them secret. We brought several hard drives containing notes on the project. Don't touch them. We had to purge any mention of the project from our databases, and those are the last copies. You'll also have a guest of sorts for the foreseeable future. A guest? I asked. Wait, Kathleen, what? The decision is made, Lawrence. You've been living off Dad's money for six years now. I'm asking you to give something back 
and what I'm asking isn't even that difficult. A girl does not leave this farmhouse. You can guarantee that, can't you? G girl? Lawrence, can, can you guarantee that the girl will not leave? Yes, I finally said. Despite my confusion on what exactly was going on, that much was clear. Kathleen's expression seemed to harden as if she still wasn't convinced. Good, she said. My associates here will ensure everything is taken care of and the girl gets settled in. I'll provide you an allowance to see to any need she has, although, should anything else arise, I'll ask that you not contact me outright about them. These matters should be discussed only in person, never over the phone or via email. There can be no evidence that that girl exists. Is that clear? Okay. It was all I could manage to get out. Kathleen was usually fairly cold when it came to business, but there was something almost threatening about the way she spoke this time. When is she getting here? I finally managed to ask. She's already here, Kathleen replied. I'll have my associates send her in momentarily. Uh, Miss Brooks, we need to go. One of the men in my kitchen said to her. Kathleen glanced at him before she stood up. I apologize that I need to cut this short. One of my associates will be in contact regularly. They'll pass along any further information. Uh, all right. I uh, understand that I'm trusting you with this because I truly have no other choice, Kathleen said. The girl cannot remain in the care of any of our employees. There is nowhere in the company that I feel as safe for. Frankly, even leaving her here with you is far more of a risk than I'm willing to take, but we've concluded that this is the safest place for her. However, it must be perfectly clear. This girl does not leave the house under any circumstances. Her green eyes burned into mine, and slowly I added, I, I understand. Good, because if I found out that you failed me, our blood relation will not protect you from what I will do. Is that clear? It took me a moment to realize that my sister was threatening my life, and the mere thought of that made my heart skip an anxious beat. Yeah, that's clear. Kathleen's eyes softened. She exhaled a breath I didn't realize she'd been holding. Good. It's nice to see you, Lawrence. I'll be in touch. She sounded anything but sincere as she turned away and made for the door. She left without a further word. Stay seated, please, said one of the men she'd left behind. He had serious brown eyes and a crew cut. We'll be bringing the girl in momentarily. I hope you don't mind, but we have some men downstairs who've been setting up a living room space for her in the basement. Yeah, okay. I still didn't know just what to make of any of this, and still didn't feel arguing or making some comment that would do me any favors just sat at my kitchen table and let the men around me do their work, keeping quiet and simply watching. A few unmarked steel boxes were brought into my basement by other men in suits, and it seemed like almost an hour before my soon-to-be co-occupant was brought in. I wasn't sure what I expected, but at a glance she seemed human enough. She was short, 
about five feet tall and very slender. From what clothes she wore, I could make out a lean but muscular physique. A dark bag had been pulled over her head, and her hands were cuffed in front of her via zip ties. One of the men pushed her down into the seat across from me and kept a hand on her shoulder. He didn't say a word to me, and a stoic silence didn't exactly do much to set me at ease. Her living quarters are set up. We're clearing out, another man said as he came upstairs. Affirmative. Move everyone out. I'll brief Mr. Brooks about the subject, said the man who had brought her in, his eyes fixated on me now. Miss Brooks was quite clear when she said, the subject should not leave the house. We'll be monitoring you to ensure that she does not, and this has been communicated to the subject as well. I, I understand. I said softly, Good. Her diet is primarily carnivorous. She's shown a preference for fish. However, most meats will suffice. Her food should be cooked. Her digestive system cannot properly process alcohol, chocolate, or caffeine, so we would ask that you do not attempt to feed those to her. If she does consume them, there's a risk that she may become sick. She seems to process dairy just fine, but limit the amount of it you allow her to consume. She's aware of her dietary restrictions, and it's not likely to ask for anything she knows she cannot safely ingest. All right, I said, giving a half nod. I looked over at the subject across from me, still not entirely sure what to make of her. The subject is autonomous. She can govern and entertain herself without much input, and should not rely on you to directly feed her. This is primarily a reference. In the basement, you'll find a box full of computer equipment. Please do not touch any of it. Although, on top of the box, you'll find handwritten notes on the care of the subject, should you need to consult them. Again, I nodded. Do you have any further questions? the man asked. Uh, I don't think so. He stared at me for a moment before reaching into his pocket to take out a knife. We'll be in touch, Mr. Brooks. He cut the zip ties around the subject's wrist before he turned to leave. She sat patiently in the seat across from me as the door to my little farmhouse closed, and we were left completely alone. I sat still for a few moments, not sure what to do or how to react. Finally, I spoke to the girl across from me. Hello? Her head cocked slightly beneath the hood. I could tell she was listening to me. Uh, hello? Her voice was small and high-pitched, almost childlike, but there was clearly anxiety there. She was probably just as scared as I was. Had all of this been thrown on her so suddenly as well? I caught myself recoiling slightly when she spoke and staring at the bag on her head. Can I take this off? She asked in that same meek voice. Yeah, of course, let me... She probably could have managed it herself, but it felt right to try and help her. I stood and approached her, reaching for the bag to remove it. The material felt smooth in my hand as I pulled it off her head. 
wasn't sure just what to expect, yet I'd never have anticipated what I saw beneath that hood. She was clearly young, under twenty years old, but she'd clearly passed her teenage years. I'd learned later that she was only nineteen. At a glance, she could have passed as fully human. Her skin was flawless, her hair was platinum blonde and cut short. Perhaps in another life she could have been a model. She was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. Her eyes and her ears betrayed her inhumanity, though. Her sapphire eyes looked human enough at a glance, but I saw her pupils narrow into predatory slits as she was exposed to the light. Her ears were another story entirely. They resembled a cat's ears, although they were lower on her head than I expected them to be, likely to correspond with where her ears were supposed to be. It took me a moment to realize that I was looking at an honest-to-God cat girl, and as that realization took hold, I was sure I was being pranked. The girl stared at me for a moment, regarding me with clear unease before looking around at her new surroundings. Are, are you Lawrence? She finally asked. She stayed nervously in her seat as if she was afraid to move. Yeah, I'm, I'm Lawrence, I managed to say. Are you real? Real? She furrowed her brow with such a human expression. Of course I'm real. I'm Kimmy. Kimmy, I repeated. It was the sweetest name I'd ever heard. Where am I? You're, well, you're at my house, I said. I wasn't really sure how else to answer that. Uh, can, can I stand? Now that was a strange question. Yeah, of course you can stand. Kimmy rose from her seat tentatively, as if she was expecting something to attack her at any given moment. She eyed me warily as she sniffed the air around her. In one quick movement, she was over by the window, looking out at the field around her. Her eyes were wide as she drank it all in. She glanced at me periodically before looking around the house once more. I watched as a small white tail worked its way up and out of Kimmy's pant leg where she'd hidden it and swayed around as if she was finally able to stretch it. All I could do was awkwardly stare at her. I wasn't entirely sure I wasn't dreaming as Kimmy stared out the window. She was beautiful, more beautiful than any other woman I'd seen before. Is, is that the sky? It was such an odd question to hear. That took me completely off guard. You've never seen the sky before? She glanced at me and then sheepishly shook her head. N no. I. Dr. Smith said I wasn't supposed to leave the lab. He, he said it wasn't safe outside. Miss Brooks told me I was supposed to stay in here, too. Dr. Smith? Lab? This was all too much information to process, as was the fact I was looking at a literal cat girl. What the fuck was Kathleen doing with Dad's company? Had she seriously grown some sort of human hybrid in a lap? No wonder she wanted to hide this. 
Even if I knew nothing about the company, I knew that this was probably unethical. It didn't change my fascination with her, though nor did it quell my immediate attraction to her. What are you? I asked. Kimmy's ears lowered. For a moment I was afraid I'd offended her. I... I don't know. She said after a while. Dr. Smith said I'm not like a person. I... I'm just Kimmy, I guess. She seemed to notice the way I was looking at her and she shrank away from me. Am I... She hesitated, seeming to struggle to find the word she wanted. Wrong? No, I said. I got up and she tried to shrink away from me. I caught her by the wrist before she could run. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just fine. Here, are you hungry? Why don't I make you some breakfast and we'll talk? Kimmy stared up at me. The prospect of food had gotten her attention. Okay. She finally said, let's have breakfast. I didn't have much aside from cereal for breakfast, and the cereals I liked were mostly sugar. I wasn't sure how well any of that would have sat with her, so I threw some frozen breaded tilapia in the oven. Fish was okay for her to eat, right? We talked as the fish baked, and the confusion of our sudden meeting seemed to wear off. I've always been in the lab with Dr. Smith, she said. I've been there as long as I can remember. Was Dr. Smith nice to you, I asked? Usually. Sometimes he hurt me, stabbed me with needles to take blood or did experiments. We sat together for over an hour as I listened to her talk about where she'd come from. To my understanding, Dr. Smith had been the closest thing to family that she had. He'd been her parent, her teacher, and, more or less, her only contact with the world in general. While she'd clearly been sheltered, Kimmy didn't come off as ignorant or stupid. Clearly, she knew how to interact with people, even if she was a little shy. She told me that she knew how to cook and clean and more or less take care of herself. She had everything she'd needed back at the lab. The lab, she described, sounded more like an apartment. A gilded cage where she could live, hidden from the world, and no amount of education or socialization could hide that she'd been sheltered, to say the least. I could see it in her eyes as we ate. She kept glancing over at the windows, looking outside, still in awe of what she saw. I suppose the view from my little patch of land was more beautiful than most. My little farmhouse had its own patch of land that I took care of. As much as I hated the work, it was cheaper than hiring a landscaper, and shaved a few pounds off of me. Beyond my land was a vast forest, endless trees as far as the eye could see. I could tell that she wanted to go out. She wanted to explore. I almost wanted to set her free just so she could. I knew better than that, though. Kathleen had been very clear in what she'd said. Kimmy was not to leave the house under any circumstances, and I would not disobey her. The first few days with Kimmy were strange, but not exactly unpleasant. We got along just fine, although my new guest mostly kept to herself. The living quarters set up in my basement amounted to little more than an open prison cell. 
There had been a cot and a few books for her to read, and a little half-window set up in the same room as my freezer, but not much else. I tried not to bother her too much, but, well, it was hard not to. Whenever she was around, I couldn't help but stare at her, and I knew that I was smitten. In my heart, I knew I would have done just about anything for her, no matter the consequences. Despite my feelings, I, I gave Kimmy her space. I didn't know a lot about women, but I knew that being overbearing wouldn't help. I wanted her to be comfortable. I wanted her to warm up to me on her own terms. So I made little peace offerings. Usually it was just food. But I did buy her some new books when I was in town. She seemed happy to have them, and I saw the first hint of a smile on her sweet little face. It was almost a week into her stay when she came into my room. I'd been playing a video game, one of the last of the Tomb Raider series. I like to stealth it up in my play style, and I hadn't noticed that she'd been standing in my bedroom door watching me play until she spoke. Why is she killing them? She asked and almost made me jump out of my skin. I looked over at her, wide-eyed and a little off-guard, as Kimmy stared intently at the screen. Well, they're bad guys, I said. They want to steal an artifact, and I'm supposed to stop them. Kimmy's brow furrowed a bit as I paused the game. You're controlling the girl? I asked. Yeah, I am. You're making her kill those people. What if she didn't want to kill them? I couldn't help but laugh a little bit at the way she said that. She was talking as if Laura Croft had some autonomy, as if she was nothing more than a fictional character. It's her game. She kills the bad guys. It's what she does. It's fun. That's fun? Kimmy repeated. Her eyes hadn't left the screen, and I made a space for her beside me on my bed, patting it so she could take a seat. Reluctantly, she did. How about you give it a try, I offered. You might find it fun. She looked warily at my controller, as if she expected it to bite her before she took it. I unpaused the game and watched her clumsily maneuver the character on the screen. She picked it up faster than I thought she would, and managed to make her way through one firefight after only dying a few times. I watched as she shut down the bad guys, and then kept shooting them even after they were dead, wasting her ammo. What now? she asked. Do we have to eat them? What? That comment caught me completely off guard. Well, we killed them. Would it only be right to eat them? She said it so matter-of-factly that it was almost an innocent question. Almost. No, you're not supposed to eat people. Why not? It's, well, it's cannibalism. Humans aren't supposed to eat other humans. Kimmy stared at the screen, at Laura Croft standing over the corpses of her latest victims, and she seemed lost in thought. Can we play some more? She finally asked. Of course, I said yes. It was a few days later when I got my first call from Kathleen. I'd actually been awake this time and just kind of skimming through the newspaper. A sale at the farmer's market in town, the results of the local fishing tournament, an animal attack in the woods, and some heartwarming piece about the local school fundraiser. 
more or less the kind of things you see in a local newspaper. When my phone rang, I answered it, even though I didn't recognize it. I can't say whether I was surprised or not to hear Kathleen's voice. This wasn't her usual phone number, but if things were as bad as she said they were, I suppose I'd understand why she'd call me from a burner or something like that. How are things with the girl? Straight to business, as usual. She's fine, staying inside and reading mostly. I replied, Good. I'm sorry I had to dump her on you at the last minute. I wish I could say how long it'll be. Things are pretty hectic right now. Apology from Kathleen. It must have been worse than I thought. It's fine. We're getting along great, I said. She's nice. Kathleen paused for a moment, as if she was unpacking everything I said, looking for some sort of subtext, as if she didn't quite trust me. Can I speak with the girl? She finally asked. Uh, yeah. She's downstairs. I'll go get her. I stood up and took the phone to the basement. Kimmy was on her cot, curled into an adorable little ball, and fast asleep. She slept often, but was also a light sleeper. Her eyes opened just a crack as she heard me coming, and her ears twitched lazily. It's Miss Brooks, I said as I offered her the phone. Kimmy took it without comment. Watching her use a phone was, well, interesting. She couldn't exactly press it to her ear like a normal person. She needed to position it a little awkwardly. Hello, Miss Brooks, she said before yawning the cutest little yawn. A slight gust of wind rustled her hair, and the beauty of that little movement tore me away from my thoughts. I looked up at her half-small window up near the ceiling. It was open. I looked at it, and then back at Kimmy, who barely seemed to notice me as she talked to my sister. I'm okay. He's nice to me. even lets me play his games. Tomb Raider, I think. Uh, one with a girl in it. I could almost hear Kathleen's sigh of exasperation. I was sure I would eventually get an earful about corrupting her dear cat girl with video games, but I couldn't have cared less in that moment. I just waited for Kimmy to say her goodbyes and hang up before she offered the phone back to me. You weren't outside, were you? The one question that had been on my mind was finally blurted out. Kimmy's ears twitched as she looked at me. No, I'm not allowed outside, right? I just wanted to open the window. I wanted to know what a breeze felt like. Oh, God, how could I have doubted her? The way she said that made my heart melt. Of course she hadn't tried to go outside. She was smarter than that. All right, sorry to get on your case. I just... You have to look after me. Kimmy finished. I nodded. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I was happy to take care of her for as long as she needed. It was less than a week before I heard news of a second animal attack. I'd been watching the local news channel with my morning Mountain Dew when the story came up. New updates on yesterday's animal attack. The anchor said on the screen, Local law enforcement has identified the victim as Raymond Masters, who is believed to have been attacked while out hiking yesterday evening. Police say the injuries are consistent with a puma and are advising hikers to take extra precautions while out on the trails. 
The news was nothing special. Animal attacks were just another fact of life when you're so close to nature. A picture popped up on the screen that very quickly caught my attention, though. I'd seen him before. The man in the image had serious brown eyes and a crew cut. Although he looked less imposing in the picture, where he was fishing on a boat than he had when he'd been in my house a few weeks ago, introducing me to my new house guest. Somehow, I doubted he'd just been another random hiker. Immediately, I thought about Kimmy. The news said the attack was similar to that of a puma. Kimmy couldn't attack like that, could she? She didn't exactly have claws, not that I'd seen. I noticed that her teeth seemed a little sharper than a normal human's, but she wasn't capable of killing someone, was she? I found myself struggling to answer that question. The answer was obvious, but I didn't really want to believe it. Kimmy was many things, but she wasn't a killer. I knew I was being silly just thinking about it, and of, of course, I wasn't going to ask her. She'd deny it, of course she would, and there was no proof that she even could be capable of something like that. Although there was, wasn't there? I thought about the hard drives in the basement. Everything there was to know about Kimmy was stored there. How they made her, why they'd made her, and what she was capable of. This Dr. Smith, her father, had almost certainly documented everything about her, and it wasn't the first time I'd wondered what was stored on those hard drives. Looking at them would be a violation of Kimmy's privacy, though, wouldn't it? No. Not if she never knew what I'd done. Besides, didn't I have a right to know more about her? She was my guest for now. She was my responsibility. And perhaps one day she might be even more. I needed to know. I needed to put this stupid idea to rest. Kimmy wasn't a killer. She couldn't be. She wasn't. Kimmy was upstairs when I took one of the hard drives. She occupied her time with a few more of my games. Like me, she seemed to enjoy the stealth ones, and I'd even caught her smiling as she played, exposing some of her sharp little teeth. I could hear the soundtrack of the game as I went downstairs. My excuse would have been that I was getting something out of the freezer if she asked what I was doing down there, and it wasn't technically a lie. I did plan on bringing up some fish for dinner. When I actually took the drives, there was no intrusive phone call from Kathleen or anything out of the ordinary. Kimmy was still upstairs playing her game, and I set the fish in the sink to defrost while hooking off one of the drives to my laptop. Transporting the data must have been a rush job. The drive I looked at wasn't password protected or anything, although I couldn't access most of the files anyway. A lot of them had been locked behind a password or needed a specific application that I didn't have to open. The folder names were confusing and disorganized, as if the information had been copied as quickly as possible, and a lot of it seemed incomplete, probably housed on other drives. What I could access, though, was mostly Word docs with research notes and a few videos that I didn't chance watching. I stuck with the Word docs for the time being and opened the first one I saw. I'll probably get arrested for licking the contents, but what the hell, right? Personal Notes of Dr. Elias Smith 
June 14, 2011. We attempted to advance Kimmy's socialization this week. Our success has been limited. Amongst people, Kimmy seems fine and mostly well-adjusted. Her tutor continues to give her moderate to high marks. For her lessons and our tests on her have indicated that she possesses intelligence that is on par with a fully human 10-year-old child. Her brain does not seem hindered by their differences in her DNA, which supports my hypothesis that she is, for all intents and purposes, human. Our attempts to socialize her with animals, however, are where we have hit a roadblock. Kimmy displays a clear fascination with smaller animals, which we initially took for a natural human curiosity. We exposed her to cats at first, believing she might like them and had entertained the idea of allowing her to have a pet. It would seem that Kimmy's modified DNA has left her with some non-human instincts, such as a desire to hunt. When left alone with the cat, Kimmy chose to kill it. When I later asked her why she'd killed the cat, Kimmy told her she simply felt as if that was what she was supposed to do. Under our supervision, she did not kill the next few animals she was exposed to, and when we were sure there would be no more incidents, we allowed the cat to stay in a room with her. It survived approximately four days before Kimmy killed it out of boredom. I've decided to suspend any further unsupervised socialization with animals indefinitely. We've already crossed far too many ethical lines. I won't add animal cruelty to the list. I felt my skin going a little paler as I read what the document had said. Killing animals out of boredom. I almost wanted to read the notes again. It didn't seem like something Kimmy was even capable of. She didn't seem like a killer. She couldn't be. I almost clicked on another document before deciding against it. What the hell was I doing? looking into her history like this. Kathleen would kill me if she knew. Hell, Kimmy would probably be livid. None of this was mine to go through. And yet I couldn't shake the memory of the man on the TV screen. How convenient that a man who Kathleen had undoubtedly left behind to watch Kimmy and I would end up dead from a puma attack. I knew there was only one way to know for sure if she was sneaking out of the house to hunt. I had to see it with my own eyes. I had to catch her in the act. I stayed up late that night, long after Kimmy had gone to bed. I stayed in my room with the lights out and sat patiently, watching and praying that I saw nothing. I wasn't as young as I used to be. All-nighters took a greater toll on me than they did before. Staring out at my field as night faded into dawn, I was starting to talk myself into sleeping and debating whether or not I'd need to stay up and vigil another night just to be sure. I felt my eyes beginning to droop and stood up, getting ready to go to bed when I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. Immediately, I was looking out at the fields before me and I could see movement. A shadow darted through the field, keeping low to the ground so it would not be seen. Its movements were nimble and quick, Yet, in the light of early dawn, I could make out a humanoid shape with two cat-like ears atop its head. My heart skipped a beat, 
Without thinking, I threw open the window and called out, Kimmy! Kimmy paused. She looked at me and I could see those unforgettable sapphire eyes gleaming in the darkness just like a cat's eyes. Kimmy didn't say a word. She didn't go back inside. She just stared at me for a moment before she fled toward the woods. She was gone before I could make it downstairs and out the front door to go after her, vanished into the darkness of the forest. She never came back. I heard about the death of another hiker that afternoon. I spent the day waiting for Kimmy, fearing that she wouldn't come back to me, but not knowing what to do. I didn't want to call Kathleen. She'd lose her shit. She'd blame me for this when it wasn't my fault. Kimmy knew the rules. She'd chosen to violate them. She'd snuck out deliberately and run when I'd noticed her. Kathleen probably wouldn't care, though. No, my, my sister probably wouldn't even give a shit if Kimmy had run away intentionally. She'd been in my care, and so in her eyes the mistake was mine, and mine alone. Not to mention the fact that Kimmy was still out there. She'd already killed at least twice, maybe even three times. I knew that she was going to kill again, if for no other reason than a sheer enjoyment of it. I needed to find her. I needed to bring her back, lock her up. Something. Then I'd call Kathleen, when I had the situation under control. It was late afternoon when I left the house to look for Kimmy. I walked quietly toward the woods. I almost wished I had a gun or something to defend myself, just in case. Kimmy probably wouldn't attack me. Maybe I was still a stranger in some regards, but I'd been good to her. I'd taken care of her as best I could. She was still mostly human. Maybe we could talk this out. Maybe I could convince her to come back with me willingly. It was my only hope, really. I'd never really wandered the woods before, and as I walked through them, beneath the setting sun, I began to realize just how little of a chance I really had of finding her. Everything looked the same, and the unending trees around me made it hard to see much. Kimmy! I called, venturing deeper and deeper into the unknown. Predictably, there was no answer. Kimmy! As I walked, I could see the light that shone through the canopy above me, slowly beginning to fade into an orange glow. Hours were passing, and Kimmy was nowhere to be found. I wondered if I'd need to search the entire woods. I needed to call Kathleen for help with that, and I'd have to face her wrath with nothing to show for it. The thought of turning back had crossed my mind, but truthfully, I wasn't even sure if I could reliably find my way back home anymore. Like I said, I wasn't used to hiking in the woods, and I hadn't exactly planned my little excursion well. Kimmy! My voice was starting to get hoarse from yelling her name for hours on end, and then I heard it. Behind me, there was the thud of something heavy hitting the ground, and I spun around. My heart seized my chest as I saw what it had been. It was a human body. The head was turned towards me, the eyes wide open and vacant. The throat was nothing but a ragged mess of blood and torn flesh. I stumbled back a few steps as I saw movement in the tree above the body and sapphire eyes shining in the darkness of the dusk. I couldn't speak as I looked up at Kimmy. 
In the low light, I could see the blood in her face. This had been a fresh kill. She'd already claimed another victim. He didn't see me. Kimmy said softly. There was a hint of pride in her voice. As she straddled the branch she sat on, I could see a smile on her blood-stained lips. I took him down from behind, just like in the game. I couldn't speak. My words failed me, and Kimmy didn't seem to notice. I know I wasn't supposed to go outside, but look, isn't it beautiful? The sun is so warm, the grass is so soft, and no one will ever see me. If they do, I can get rid of them, just like the bad guys. K Kimmy... You can't just kill people. My voice was hoarse and weak. She just glared down at me. You do it in your games. You hunt and kill people, she said. This is the same, isn't it? The game is fake, Kimmy. It's fiction. It's not meant to be real. This, this is wrong. This is murder. You said it was fun, she replied. And it is. It is fun. It's what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be out here, not trapped in some room. There's so much to see, so much to experience, and the meat, it's never been so fresh. My stomach turned. We killed them. Wouldn't it only be right to eat them? She'd asked me once. I remembered the cat from the report I read. The one she'd try to eat. I couldn't look at the body. I couldn't check and see what she'd done to it. You... you're eating them. I said softly, my voice weak and horrified. Well, yeah, it would be wrong to waste the meat. I'm not human like they are. You said it would be wrong if I was human, but I'm not, am I? Kimmy, I said weakly as I started to back away. Looking at her now, I saw only a monster, a beautiful, inhuman monster. She dropped from the tree in front of me, standing before her fresh kill. She smiled confidently, the sincere, beautiful grin of a girl who found her place in the world, a place as an apex predator. This is where I belong, she said. I can feel it. I should be out here, in the world. You should be in your lab. The words erupted out of me, angry and thoughtless. Kimmy's eyes narrowed. My lab, she asked. Why would I ever go back there when I could have this, when I could be happy out here? She glared at me. You wouldn't send me back, would you, Lawrence? I remained frozen to the spot, staring at Kimmy and trying not to cry. Maybe I was bigger than her, but I knew that she could have overpowered me easily. Kimmy took a step back and shook her head. No, she said softly. You won't send me back. I won't go. I refuse. Kimmy, I managed to say in a hoarse whisper, but in an instant she was gone. She vanished at a sprint into the brush, leaving the corpse behind. I tried to run after her. I really did. But there was no way I was going to catch her. I was in her territory, and she did not want to be caught. It's been a few days now. I haven't tried to call the police, or even call Kathleen for that matter. 
I doubt the former could help me, and the latter, we'll find out eventually. I've gone through the hard drives, but what little information I can access hasn't been much help. I don't think there's any way to find Kimmy, unless she wants to be found. But I take a small comfort in knowing that I will see her again. As dusk set in today, I saw sapphire eyes staring at me from the forest. She already doesn't trust me, so I can't imagine that Kimmy sees me as anything more than a threat, and I know what she does with threats, of course. I'll leave a window open for her. Maybe I can still reason with her, but I won't hinge my hopes on it. I hope you enjoyed Kimmy by author Ryan Peacock. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other podcasts featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, 
and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Ha 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 ha.